Welcome to Parenting in the Trenches. I'm Karen Peters, a registered clinical counselor, and I'm a mom. We're getting real about all things family from a mental health perspective. So let's get to it. Hi, welcome back. If you've been following our series on neurodiverse families, um, you'll know that we are almost wrapping up here, but I could not have done that without making sure that I spoke with these two wonderful parents. Uh, Lori and Sheila have generously offered some of their time and their um, lens on what it is like to parent kids who require uh, them and us as parents to be their kids' external brains. Um, both Sheila and Lori work for Family Smart, which is a lovely, amazing organization that works from the ground up. These are parents with lived experience who offer peer support for helping um, other parents who are experiencing some challenges around accessing care and treatment and supports for their kids who have mental health difficulties and they come alongside because they care because they know what it's like and they've been there themselves so uh, Lori and Sheila are experts at being able to come alongside and sit with us um, who need to feel less alone in this so welcome to the conversation today on being our kids external brains Um, maybe to start off, would you mind introducing yourselves in two ways? One, what your role is as a PIR, as a parent in resident with the Family Smart program, and also uh, just a bit about your family makeup and why this topic resonates with you. Um, so maybe Sheila, you could start with with that. Okay, so hello, um, I'm Sheila Dyer. I am a parent in residence for uh, the Okanagan. And I work in the community all the way from Penticton to Vernon, as well as Kelowna. Um, I provide parent peer support for families, um, parents and caregivers who have kids who are struggling with their mental health. And um, so I work one-on-one. We have video conferencing together. We talk on the phone. um, And because I have lived experience, I come from a place of understanding where people are coming from. And I really feel very honored to have that role. Um, I'm also a mom. I've got uh, two young men who both have struggled with their mental health throughout their young lives. And um, they are, as a colleague of ours says on a regular basis, they are my great teachers. Um, Mm. They keep me grounded. They keep me going. And I have learned a great deal about myself and the world around me because of them. And so very happy to be here today talking about the external brain and all of the stuff that goes on in your head while you're trying to anticipate uh, things that are going to come up. So thank you, Karen. Okay, Lori, where are you coming from? And yeah, both personally and professionally. (laughs) Um, My name is Lori Erickson. I'm a parent in resident that provides peer support at CASA in Edmonton, Alberta. And we, myself and the other PIR, um, both support families on site and a little bit in the community as well. Um, Children that access services there go right from infant up to 18 years of age. And we help out with any of CASA's programs. So some of the residential programs on site will be there for admissions to help families through that. Um, And all the other supports they have for children with mental health. 
I am a mom of three, um, eight, ages 10 to 21, and um, my older two have struggled with their mental health, and um, we are very much a neurodiverse family, um, and the mental health struggles have come with two different diagnoses in our family, and so there's a lot of juggling and adjusting and um, just trying to meet them where they're at and and yeah. come together as a family. And uh, yeah. my experience was really tough and as a parent. And so I became a parent in residence so that I can try and make that journey a little easier for other families trying to support their children. Yeah. That is such a great description of what the whole essence of Family Smart has been, right? It, it was built from the ground up to be able to bring the wisdom of the lived experience to make that journey a bit smoother, maybe, or, um, yeah, more supported along the way, less alone uh, for other parents. Yeah. Okay. I, I would like to know what either of you and both of you think when I say the words external brain what what does it mean for you like if you think about I mean both of you have come through many stages of child development with your kids because they're not little little anymore so we know that this changes what it means to external brain for our kids changes developmentally as they grow up but I bet you have like a treasure chest of memories of things that you have done as the external brain for any of your kids at any point in time what what do you what what do you think of when when you think of the idea of being your kids external brain hyper organized hyper vigilant hyper in general <laughs> hyper in general yeah oh, god just uh, people used to say when i had my kids were little and i had doctor bikes full of things and they would say, oh, you're so organized. And I'd be like, uh -huh. oh, because I'd be anticipating absolutely everything that I might need, not only because it was a diaper bag, but because I didn't know if something was going to get broken or if thirst was going to be a big deal or if something needed to be there for distraction or what well, it was like. It was, it, I think of it now, like I'm overthinking. My kids will say, oh, mom, you're overthinking. And Okay. It's because I've done it my whole life is this everywhere yeah. we went. It was preparation for what could happen, what's there, who's there, what's going to trigger my kids, who gets to stay, who gets to go. You know, it's um, it was just <laughs> a constancy, right? It's I hear the constancy constant. in that. Yeah. yeah. So it yeah. becomes really ingrained the way you think. Yeah. 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 The hypervigilance piece is um, such a nervous system type experience, yeah. right? Right. It's exhausting. Yeah. 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 Wow. So the preparedness, the over, the overthinking, maybe the the extra thinking. Maybe I think extra. Yeah. It's extra because you're packing for two. You're thinking for two. You're preparing for two. Right. And, and that's if you're only doing this for one child. So adjust your numbers accordingly. Right. Yes. Yes. Preparing for five, preparing for six. preparing, for, Yeah. And depending on the varying needs, 
that you're you're having to consider not just every potential thing along the way that you're going to experience when you go out grocery shopping with your kids in tow, but you also have to think about each individual's needs along the way, right? Because one might have sensory struggles. It's going to be more around that I need immediate access to a sippy cup or a a granola bar or uh, whatever. And for other kids, that's not a thing at all. And it's going to be about how do I have something that I squish in my hand when we move from the van into the shopping cart, because yeah. it's too hard to move from one thing to another. Yeah. Well, and being what, able what to makes, abandon, yeah. I was going to say yeah. abandon the grocery cart <laughs> in the middle oh, of a shop. Can yeah. you talk about that one? <laughs> that's, that's, you know, or going into, there was one store that I would go into is a lovely thrift store. I loved it. And my one son as soon as he walked in something triggered him and he was like a whirling dervish and he would he would almost rage and grab things and just and I don't know what it was that triggered him in that space but um after it happened the first time of course I found other ways to get him out to stay outside um in the grocery store same thing if there's fatigue or whatever for a lot of kids they cry or they um you know they'll act up but if it's a full-on meltdown, you just have, yeah. I, you know, you just pick them up, stick them under your arm, and then and out you go. And there's nothing else you can do. And so yeah. that's, and that's when they're still small enough to do that. I was gonna say that's yeah. when you have yeah. the My... strength to lift them. <laughs> Mine was taller than me by grade two, so we had to come up with other <laughs> strategies really early. Yeah. <laughs> me or, too. I had yeah. that too. Yeah, I just was not big enough to be able to yeah. to do that. And um, I, I kind of slid into that avoidance of those situations. And my it almost became part of my self-care was going to the grocery store alone at 9 or 10 o'clock yeah. at night because I could not manage that situation of taking them with me. And yeah. so... Um, I would leave those tasks and got into avoiding those situations, which Hmm. is kind of scary too, but that's what we needed to do at that time. I just wasn't able to, to do those everyday tasks a lot of the time. So that was, and that's part of our external brain braining too, is always having to decide what's worth it. So how much effort are we capable of putting in willing to put in for what outcome? Um, because as parents, we're always wanting our kids to grow and to learn and to be exposed to situations and to adjust and to adapt. But there's a limit. At any stage of development, you have to constantly, as a parent, assess what is worth it. So is, it, is that the moment you're going to teach your child to show up at a grocery store and still be okay? Maybe not right? Maybe this is not their phase of development. It's not where they're capable or ready of doing that. And then who's benefiting, right? We're all just stressed out and sometimes unsafe. Yeah. Yeah. So you're thinking of how you make that experience of going out with your kids. You're thinking for all your kids, your neurodiverse kids and um, the rest of my family. But you're also, for me, I was always balancing, um, trying to explain to everybody around me what's happening so I was like affected by for the first little while you get past that because you don't really have a choice (laughs) at some point it's like okay those people 
whatever. <laughs> yeah. But you know, you want to make the people that you're going to, if you're going to the park or you're going to try and, and yeah. hang out with another family, you're, you're wanting to protect um, their kids or explain away what's happening. And it's just trying to manage everybody's um, emotions and feelings and expectations and that hyper vigilance. Yeah. That's where yeah. it became for me hard to do that. Mm-hmm. And so that's when that retreating came about for me. Um, because it, it makes came, so much sense. Yeah. Came but it's much. also, I was thinking also, you know, thinking about for my kids, I wanted them to have experiences with their friends. I wanted them to go to the party that was, that was being held at the gymnastics area, you know, yeah. building or whatever. I wanted those things. And so I would, I would do everything to get them there. And then when they got there, I had one that would go in full blast Um, and I'd be watching all the time because he was the runner, right? He just inside, he just needed to run. And so he would just run. So he would go into danger and run. And the other one would hold back and assess for a really long time before he would go anywhere. So every time I go somewhere, I could never talk with other parents or chat because I was watching for the one who was going to go into danger and try to nurture the one that wasn't wasn't ready to go in at all you know yeah and so i'd finally we get to the end of it and the one that was needing the nurturing was ready to go in and it'd be over with and so yeah. it was like you know it just uh-huh. my heart would just break because it was just this feeling of i wanted them to have this wonderful thing um yeah. and but i couldn't do both and i also never relaxed enough to enjoy myself chatting with the other moms who were just watching the kids play you know yeah. um, it's a strange perspective to be you know in yeah and yeah I found that same experience too Sheila I had those two very different ways of processing and then you have your own way of processing things so that you're trying and you kind of might identify with one kid more than the other. And it's like, I don't know how to help the one that's not as similar yeah. as me. And so, um, again, wanting those growth experiences and, and to expose them. So that means going on every school field trip, going on, you know, and planning your life around giving them those experiences. But considering where we're at and where they're emotionally at and developmentally at. So, um, it's tough and you see them do well in those experiences sometimes. So you try to push a little more and then you kind of end up too, too much sometimes. Yeah. 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 I think that's one of the the things, you know, we, that that is a kind of a grieving, you know, my, my son went to his, um, they've had a, a dry grad thing and a great big party and um, he had done the whole grad stuff all day long for high school and then went to the big party and it was an outward bound thing and it was you know ropes and ladders and barbecue all of this stuff and he was so exhausted he called to have me come and get him because he couldn't cope with so much stimulus so he lost the entire experience of that thing with all of his fellow graduates because he just couldn't it had been enough energy expended throughout the day and anxiety and to have yet another new thing to push him through he just couldn't do it so you know it's yeah it it made me so sad (laughs) 
you know, because it was yeah. like, this is what life is. These are those memories that you're supposed to hold on to. But yeah, yeah. I guess for me, like you, Laurie, you, you get used to it. You just go, okay, well, something else will happen. And I just have to believe that because, you know, this one event isn't going to change who he is as a human being. So yeah, it's hard to get there, but you kind of have to, you know. And it, we it adjust our expectations, right? Like, I think that, that's what you're speaking to. We're adjusting what we, what, what, what to expect, what to hope for, what to allow them to try, what to, what they're going to need for soothing, what they're going to need for protection, right? How, when we need to step in. Um, yeah. And, and being aware of the things that are too much. Um, while holding our own awareness of what we know would have happened for him if he could have stayed, right? That's the tension yeah. that we're feeling and having to navigate inside. Yeah. It's, yeah. A constant adjustment, I think. And that external brain stuff is looking at all the possibilities and, uh, and just having to be happy with whatever it turns out to be based on everything that's been prepared by me or anybody else in advance, you know? Yeah. I think we had a bit of overlap there, Lori, and you were going to say something. So before I bridge to the next thing, can, is there anything you wanted to add there? Just knowing, um, being that external brain, because sometimes these kids who have these experiences where they try things and it ends up being quite scary or a little you yeah. know, traumatic for them, um, and they tend to pull back. It's that natural bit of pulling back. And so as a parent, I'll, lots of times I'll look at it. Okay, how could we have done that differently so that you could go back and try it again? And um, sometimes I can get them in the space or the frame of mind to, to, to look at it and, and brainstorm with me on, on how it could look differently. And would you be open to trying it again? And sometimes there's just that shutdown. So it's hard to know um, when to kind of push a little bit to try those experiences mm -hmm. again um, and or wait for when they're ready. Because some I have one that, nope, that was the experience. It's always going to look that way. It's never going to look any different and we're not going back there. And the other one is like, oh, yeah. I d and he doesn't always remember exactly how it went. So if we reframe it and talk about it, then he might give it another go. So it's, for me, it's that constant push and pull of um, where is my responsibility? I want them to have autonomy over the choices they're making, yeah. um, whether it's school, whether it's friends, whether it's, you know, family things. But um, that, that heavy feeling of how far do I push them? And then the guilt, if it doesn't go well, if you do push them, that there's that parent yeah. guilt thing um, when you're acting as their external brain, like that you need to make good choices, even though I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. I, 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 I've right. never been a teenage boy. I'm just trying to figure this out. <laughs> so, awesome. Right. Yeah. So external braining, there's this component of assumed responsibility, right? Absolutely. So in, in other ways, I, I, I see the track of parenting often this, and I don't think it's, it's different in its trajectory. We're still trying to kind of wean our, our kids off of us, right, in, in any developmental capacity. But we have to stick with this job so much longer with our neurodiverse kids. And so we're doing this for them at a time where their peers might not require it. 
And so we have to assume this responsibility, which then comes with any responsibility, comes this burden of feeling like, did I make the right choice or the wrong choice? Right? Did I do enough? Did I do too much? Did I... Did I plan well? Did I miss something? Did I? Because that's the thing that we expect our kids to take on for themselves. The, the critical thinking and the, okay, did I think ahead? And should I have brought my coat because I didn't realize it was raining? And should I have, you know, and, and what will I do to get out of this situation? Now I'm stuck somewhere and somebody, my friend left me. How do I get home? How do I make a phone call and who do I call? And who's, all of this stuff that we start to see a capacity grow for in some kids might not be happening for ours. And so we're on this journey more intensely and longer. And then having these, these debates in ourselves about like, did I do the right thing? And then, you know, we'll go for coffee with a parent who doesn't have this lived experience and they'll say, oh, my kid just figured it out this morning and I don't know where they are, but that's fine. They'll figure it out. You know, like that just doesn't resonate with me. I'm thinking, no, that's my job to find out, right? How they're going to get home. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about you, Lori, but I, I, uh, one of my, my kids, his first, uh, his first answer to everything was no. And um, so he'd say, oh, we're going to do this. And he'd say, no, I'm not doing it, not doing it, not happening. And so we had to prolong. So if we wanted to do something in sometimes three months time, um, if it was going to be a big deal, we would have to tell him in three months time and he would have to take three months to answer ongoing constant questions about whatever that event was. So that before we actually went, he had thought about every single aspect of what was going to happen okay. um how we're going to be there what are we going to take how are we going to take there how many people will be in the car who's going to be in the car are we going to take a train what's the train like uh or do we have to get tickets when do we have to get tickets what if we don't make the train what if we uh, and it was exhausting um and yeah i can feel uh, it just even just thinking about it raises my blood pressure a little bit <laughs> yeah. um but it was it was a bit of a strange relief as well when we discovered that's what we had to do because we had less meltdowns and a little bit less disappointment going places. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, you know, your friends, so-and-so they're having a barbecue, their family's having a barbecue next weekend, not today, not tomorrow, next weekend. And then we could have time to deal with all the questions that went along with it. And I know there were times when, those kind of questions because of anxiety, because of needs, I would just shut down. And I had someone say to me once, aren't you going to answer your son? And I didn't even realize he had asked the yeah. same question over and over and over and over again. And I'd answered so many times that I stopped. Right. I stopped, stopped even hearing him. I just stopped okay. responding. And um, I, it might have been about, can I have an ice cream sundae or something? Can I have an ice cream sundae? No, we're not going to. Can I have an eclair? And, you know, it took someone else to snap me out of it because I had, I was just done. Yeah. So um, it's, it's mm. patience, that external brain, but it's also, um, yeah, it can get as a parent, I think, very overwhelming where you just kind of, there's a part of you that just turns, I don't know, well, it shuts down, um, which is not a good feeling as a parent. I don't want to be that parent, but I have been. 
I glad you raised that because I wanted to hear from both of you a little bit about the toll that it takes or the impact it has because so many parents I think feel like they should be a superhero somehow rise above every difficult circumstance have like crazy stamina and ridiculous amounts of patience and because because of what's in front of us we know what's needed we assume then if that's what's in our corner in our home we then should just have been born with this gigantic capacity somehow and so the the discrepancy i think sometimes is that I, we we have to adjust our expectations and recognize Sure, we're always trying to rise to the occasion for our kids and for ourselves, but you have your own limits. There, there's yeah. phys- Physiologically, there's a limit to what you can do for people, what you can hold space for, what you can have patience for, what you can think ahead for. Your brain is no... Well, it's probably stretched bigger over the course of experience, but it's no. It wasn't. it didn't come out of the womb for you any bigger than anybody else, right? And so just hearing you share that makes me wonder like what are the realistic things that start happening to us physically and emotionally when you have walked the external brain tightrope for years what has that been like what have you noticed in terms of its impact on you well I can agree with Sheila that it's exhausting that would yeah. be the number one thing that would co- comes to my head. Um, mm-hmm. That hypervigilance for me means no sleep or very yeah. little sleep. Um, I have a partner that's a shift worker. So lots of times I'm the only one home at night. And um, it's, it's that isolation because sometimes the the things, the thinking and the situations we find ourselves in as parents, um, we don't share them because they're, yeah. they're so big and they're so hard and they're not situations you would ever imagine yourself being in. And so um, opening up and sharing that with other people means the possibility of being judged yeah. and um, or them having to take care of their feelings as they try to fix it for you <laughs> that that's a that's a huge huge one for me it's like I yes I would love to talk to someone about this but if I have to spend the it's not going to be a comfort to me if I have to go into detail about how how yeah. we do the things we do and um or be offered suggestions when we've tried everything yep. and access yes. supports and and done the learning and know what kind of works for my kid and what doesn't work. Um, and so for me coming to family smart and finding other people that have gone through that journey, that was huge for me because that was the first time I ever found families like mine and that understood that just kind of got without me sharing all the details and everything we were going through, just that right now is a rough patch and I'm really tired today. And um, I don't know where to go or what to do about it. It's I oh, I so get it, Laurie. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I can't tell you how many times I sat at the principal's office at our school crying because the process of just getting my son into school <laughs> was so hard. Um, and then once he got there, he was actually not so bad, you know. But um, the feeling I had the first time I had someone who had, uh, who worked with the external brain and had a neurodiverse child, um, <laughs> I, I laugh about it now. And she, she uh, looked at my messy house and all of the, all the projects that were going on all over the place. And she just started to laugh and she said, oh, thank God someone has a house that looks like mine. Um, and I just, it was the most wonderful thing because I have had other people come in at the, you know, when things were really, really bad and say, oh my God, why did you let your children do that? What a mess you, why, why did you let them do that? And it'd be like, oh God, I had to because that's the only opportunity I had for a little bit of quiet and I was able to breathe or no, I didn't clean it up because what would happen if I did would take yeah. three days for, for us to get through. So I left things, you know, but um, it's really hard to describe that to somebody, you know, that yeah. sense of, no, I, I'm happy with it being like that because I know what will happen if I don't leave it yeah. where it is, you know? Or that's yes. the one thing that had to give, right? Like having a yeah. clean house with it on this list of demands that's in my family. That's yeah. the thing that I the was last. willing to put aside to, mm -hmm. to be able to get through today. Yeah. And that mm -hmm. hearing you talk about school, Sheila, um, for me, that hypervigilance was when that school phone number showed up on my phone, my heart would race. Yes. And, oh, and I would be almost crying before I picked up the phone because it, oh. for us, it was throughout our elementary experience with both boys. And I was having phone calls a couple times a week and it wasn't just, what do we do about this? It's you need to come get your child. They cannot be here with us. And so that was that constant hyper, <laughs> hyper vigilance and it's 30 below and I'm grabbing my baby in her carrier and I'm loading up the vehicle. And sometimes my kid was at the school and sometimes they were in that fight or flight running away from school and they didn't know where my child was. And yeah. so um, we did years and years of that. And after all those years, it, it took some time once we found programs that did meet their needs and things were going better. And for me, it, 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 I'd say it took at least a couple years. And I still, you know, when the school phones, I like, <laughs> it, it still goes, Ding! and then it's like, oh, no, it, it might just be they forgot their lunch. Like, it's, yeah. it's not necessarily those things. But I make sure to tell those uh, teachers or anytime the school phones was something good, like I let them know how much that means to me. It's like, yeah. it is so good to get a good phone call from somewhere. Um, yes. And it means the world because those are not the phone calls you're used to getting. And so, yeah, for that was before text. Once we got a little ways down <laughs> the road, I had EAs that would text me. So that was, a, you a know, and I was typing, I, you know, yeah. so <laughs> we've come through a whole <laughs> way of communication and, and we're still going, we're still here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh man, your memories just bring up so many things for me. I remember so many of those things, the flight risk and the phone calls and the, 
oh boy. Yeah. And the, the state of our home and the, you know, I'm, I feel very lucky that I had some close friends who did not judge me for the state of our disaster that, you know, because they understood the tornado that was coming through it. Um, but, oh, I struggled. I struggled with my needs versus my kids' needs. I needed organization to feel a sense of calm. And I could never get it in my own home, right? And so because it's their own home as well, it just overrode. The chaos needed to happen. And to this day, we have maybe a different version of this, but we set up a specific table in our living room that is her craft table. And within 10 minutes, there's 15 projects going on simultaneously and there's beads on the floor and there's glitter everywhere and there's slime being created and there's everything I hate is happening on that table. And then, but I say, but it's on that table so I can live with that table. But because she doesn't have the functioning to organize it and to clean up after herself and to do those things, it gets abandoned and she moves to the next clean available space, right? Yeah. So it's overspill. So now it's the coffee table and the kitchen counter and the dining room table. And, and if I am not the external brain to say, okay, we're booking a time. We have to front load because I can't spring that on her. So what's a good time for you? And when are we going to, right? And then we clean up the space and we go, ah. Oh. And within 10 minutes, it is full again. And we're back at the coffee table and we've moved and migrated to the bedroom. And it's not her bedroom, it's my bedroom. And it's, right? And so that familiar flooding of there's no boundary to these things. We have to be the boundary all the time. Creating yeah. the, the where's the limit? Where's the no? Where's the it's too much? Where's the okay, it's time for? Our kids don't have those internal cues to say, okay, this is enough or this is too much. Yeah. And the reigning in. And yeah. Yeah. And we feel those things. They, they impact us. Yeah. And sometimes no matter how much you front load, it, it doesn't make any difference or, you know, or yeah. you tr try to front load kids differently and you forget which kid <laughs> it's like, Oh yeah, that's not the way <laughs> you like it done. <laughs> the the other kid. And it's like ah. it's, it's yeah. like right or you're trying to explain to school and you're trying to sort which teacher to tell about which thing and it's went for those times where you're not there to be their brain and you have to communicate they're not always able to communicate what they need so yes. you're trying to communicate to someone else how they can be that external brain from a to your child that's right yeah and it's like Oh man. So not only do I have to know how to do it, I have to be able to explain how to do it to someone else and then let go and let it happen. For me, well, that was sad. the hard part was letting go and letting someone else do that for you. Um, yeah. Because you know how hard it is and you know, the cons, the, you know, how, how big a toll it can take when their needs aren't met. The intensity of it. Yeah. 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 And I don't know about you, Lori, but I was also, I, it was, yeah, I would feel some shame having to describe the behavior and the way that um, I handle things or, or words that I used or whatever, and that, that it would just feel like, you know, this is what I do, this is what I try, this is, you know, what's going on. But it's hard when you're the parent who doesn't 
you don't want to be the one that uses up all the extra time at the school, <laughs> you know, um, right. to be doing all that stuff. And and some educators are, are right in there and they totally understand. And others, it's harder to find the language sometimes to use the external yeah. brain to help them understand how they need to use an external brain as well. That, um, you know, just by saying or doing specific things doesn't mean that that's going to be the way to solve something, you know? Well, I think it's asking people to look at, really look at your child, not, not um, their diagnosis, because there's been so many situations where I've been in, oh yeah, this person in my life has autism or has ADHD. I know all about that because my niece has it. And I'm like, does your niece live with you? (laughs) Are you their caretaker? Um, I'm really glad that you have some awareness around this, but this is my child and this is what it looks like for us. And I don't say that to discredit their lived experience. It's just hear me when I tell you, (laughs) this is what we're doing and this is what works for us. Do you have some input that we can work together and find something that's going to work for all three of us? (laughs) Right. So that that's, that's one tricky thing that I found is um, very open and, and caring and people that want to help. Um, they just don't always have the tools. And, and sometimes they do just have to experience being with, with your child. And, and then they come back and go, okay, now I understand what you meant by that. And, um, and then we move forward from there and, there's a lot of preloading you can do in school and, and with other caregivers, but until they experience your child and they have a connection with them, it's out of my hands. It's out of anybody's hand, right? Like they have to find some way to connect um, and they'll find their own way to connect. It's not going to be the same way as that's right. Me. <laughs> right. And even with your partner. That, that, yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, it's our personal attunement, right? And without the relationship, yeah. we can't, we can't access the data that we need from connecting with that child. It doesn't matter what child that is, right? And so whether we're living with them, whatever the space is that you're trying to be with them in, it's going to look different, feel different. And there's no textbook that tells you. There's no strategy guide that's pre, pre-scheduled and pre-created that you just go into your first IEP meeting and you hand a nice little table, right? A a chart of here are the strategies. I mean, you can create what works for you by communicating and plugging those things in, but you cannot come with templates, right? They don't work. And without the relationship, we don't gain access to what's going to work and what's not going to work. So it's, you know, I think we've mentioned this before in conversations of it feels very whack-a-mole because it's all trial error. We see some, a problem pop up and we hit it on the head with something and we go, Oh, did that work? Nope. Didn't work. Okay. Came up somewhere else. Okay. We're going to, and, and that, that doesn't, we can't just translate that. I can't just pass that along in a backpack with my kid when I drop them off at school and then say, make sure you pass that to your teacher so they can do it. They, they have to learn, right. And learn to, yeah, to find that intuitive, okay, when I did this with them, this worked. When I said it this way, it had an impact. When I did it this way, it triggered them. When I, because their voice is not the same as my voice, I can't bring my voice in a voice recording to the classroom, right? And 
how we, yeah, and I think about all the nuanced things, like, oh my goodness, all the tiny, tiny things I've adjusted yeah. in my parenting, the look I give, the way I stand, how I approach, how long I approach, what things I approach about, how many things in a row I can say. I just how do you learn that in a nine-month window of teaching or before they get passed to the next person? And so mm-hmm. how that looks for each person who encounters and supports our child is different. Yeah, yeah. And then I had the next phase, which was, the kids started doing really well in school, but the second they stepped into the car, they would be screaming and yelling and blaming yes. and all of the stuff that they'd have done to all day would be exploded like it was like a bomb going off in the car. And I'd be driving home and I had no idea where it, it well, I, I was like, what happened? This must have been horrible. And so I'd contact yeah. the school and they would say, oh, no, no, they had a great day. We had this, this, that all the positive things would come out. And I'd be like, what? And it's because they were holding on to so much of it. And I guess I was a safe person to explode to. Yeah. And they could say and be angry at me um, for everything in the world that was going on. And um, it took me quite a long time to not take it personally. Um, it was yeah, devastating yeah. the first few times it happened because I just didn't know what to do. So again, front loading on my way to school. Okay, what can we do that's going to be different? How can I break the pattern? What can I do? So I'd stop the car and I'd say, let's go for a walk or go for ice cream or um, hey, before we go anywhere, I found this. It was just anything just to try to filter out yeah. whatever they'd been holding so that yeah. I didn't get it full on. Um, it was, yeah, so it's like we do all the stuff to prep for school and then things start to get a little bit better and it just turned yeah. right around and went back. But I think that's the other part of the, it, the front loading is that you're not only front loading and thinking about everything that could possibly happen, you're having to switch gears so fast to pull another tool out of your toolbox because the same thing doesn't work two times in a row or two days in a row. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Or when you described that, Sheila, that the whole journey post school and the shame that like the how do I carry all that? How do I pivot? When you started describing like, okay, we'll go for ice cream, we'll go for a walk. Oh, here come the alarm bells for me because this is all the things that I hear other parents would look at that with the stink eye of like you're rewarding that. You're rewarding yeah. the experience right and I actually I said it to myself I'm like here I go again I'm rewarding the right because it was just survival but actually it turned into recognizing we are need meeting all the time this is not about rewarding bad behavior this is about meeting a need to function better and get beyond or through something that's hard that I'm hand-holding in this process to get through it, not to say, good job freaking out on the side of the road. Good job biting somebody. Good job, like, that's not what it's about. But me doing anything punitive or corrective in that moment is not just useless, it's damaging. And then, but right, but to other parents, I'm hearing this, like, and it's not even oh, verbal. Yeah. It's just this kind of dazed look like, 
what are you doing? Right. And I know what's going through their heads. Right. And this is such a common experience that we, these micro moments that we witness and we're so aware of when we pick our kids up from school, it's in front of a giant audience. Yes. Right. Yeah. I sat at a restaurant with a friend and, and her daughter, and uh, immediately as soon as we get in the restaurant, I would pull out my kit bag, but, um, and, and I would have, you know, X and O's, I would have a new toy, I would, I, all well, a game of cards, we played cards everywhere we went, um, because as the kids got older, that's something they really were good at, and so my girlfriend, who I love dearly, um, turned to me and went, we don't play games at the table. And I, and I, all I could say was, we do, and we kind of have to. So I'm just going to do this, and, and it's okay. Your daughter doesn't have to join, which broke my heart because she wanted to. But it was, we can't have a rule yeah. like this because, you know, you we have to stay eat at the your, restaurant. You, yeah. You have to eat your vegetables before you have dessert. We've, I don't know about you, but I've often said, okay, today we'll just do it backwards. Everybody gets to have their their pie or their applesauce before they eat the rest of their meal, you know, because that stopped the process of the same rules just don't apply. They, and there's always something in the back of your head telling you that you, this is not the way it's supposed to be. And Mm -hmm. my mom's voice would come in and, um, and I'd have to fight those to go. Yeah. But what's in front of me is different. And I have to throw all those other ideas out 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 the window and just see what I can do right now for this. And I I found that too, Sheila, that was that shame and, and why do we always have to be the family going for dinner at four o'clock, like the early bird special, <laughs> because that's when it's not busy. <laughs> and the more, and what kind of became our mantra is, and I found myself repeating it and repeating it to my youngest was, that's what it looks like for our family. It might look different for other people's families until I believed it myself. Like that little shame was there and that, that little bit of resentment and that like, why does this have to be so hard was still there. But I, as I found with my youngest, um, she's quite a bit younger than her brothers. I was explaining things of, well, this is what school looks like for your brother. And this is what looks like for this buddy in your class. And I started to apply that to our family and my way of thinking of, well, this is what it looks like for us. It might look different for you. And just as a way to kind of make myself believe that empathy piece, because it still sneaks up. I mean, it's probably always will kind of sneak up on me um, at the strangest times, things that you didn't, you thought you had let go of. But um, that was helpful to me. It was just, this is what we need to do to make life good for our family. This is what it looks like. And isn't that what adjustment is, right? When we grieve, and I want to talk a bit about the grief piece, um, but when we grieve, it's a path to, it's a gateway to adjusting. We don't adjust without accepting and grieving the reality. And, And grief, not because our kids are broken, it's because the situation feels hard and it's unexpected. So if it isn't in line aligned with what we thought was going to be, we're grieving it. It's not what we hoped it would be. We're grieving it. And, and that gives way. I think people resist grief, but grief passes us through to adjustment where we go, you know what, this is different, not broken. 
I have to pivot to make this work. And that's not bad. That's good, right? I, if I keep resisting, it will always feel broken. If I realize that it just has to look different to support them well, the brokenness isn't the thing anymore, right? It's, it's hard, but it's not, it's not about us trying to fix something as much as how do we work with it? How do we work with it? Yeah. The grief piece. What, what have you grieved? What has grief looked like for you? Or what are the things you thought might be and didn't happen that way as parents? I think we all born, we, we have kids and we all have these, wherever they come from, some wildly fantastical dreams about what we imagine. And we all have to pivot. It's never, it's never what we think, but I wonder what that journey has been like for you. Well, um, we, I gave up a, a really high profile job at the University of British Columbia um, because I was exhausted with two small children who had things going on and the reality of our lives. And we thank goodness my husband in some ways is self-employed because he was able to be flexible with his schedule. Um, but I think one of the things that happens, and I I don't know what the stats are, but I'm pretty much guaranteed it's true, is that when you've got kids who are struggling, you cannot work as much, you can't make as much That's money. Right. You often don't have a lot of the same things that other people are able to have. So we didn't have a lot of fancy holidays. We didn't do because somebody always had to be at the end of the phone Someone needed to be available for those field trips. Someone needed to be able to put in the extra time with kids in the evening who are who are not able um, not able at the time to do the homework they've been given. Um, so some of it for us, I know, was this this grief of not being able to feel like we're really hugely moving forward in life because so much of it is what's happening right now. So I think that was kind of a kind of a, a big one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I felt that too. I was home for many years. Um, my husband was working all the time. He had to work three jobs for us to be able to have me home full time. And um, things you had planned, just pieces of yourself, things that I did for myself, hobbies, those kind of have to get put aside. And maybe the people that did those things with you they kind of move on with their life and their kids mm -hmm. and you kind of feel like you're just living day to day. And then all of a sudden it's yeah. been 10 years of living day to day. And, and you go, well, well what, what happened? <laughs> Where did that time go? And so you've kind of gotten through that grieving and, and now we're going to, okay, how, what's our life going to look like? And you go into um, movement for them, but we kind of have to stay stuck. And that's the hardest piece for me was I, I felt stuck for so long. Yeah. Um, I felt like I was helping them move forward and they were doing great. And I was doing great, better as a mom and supporting them. And I was learning, but it was all about them. Them. Yeah. Yeah. And so those little pieces of yourself and those, some of those friendships and some of those people in your life that move forward without you and you're grieving that. As well. Well, and, yeah, and Laura, you moved, right? You made yes. an actual physical move. Yeah. Can you talk about that a bit? 
we um, we moved to a different community when I was pregnant with my second. And so my first, his needs were substantial and um, we weren't getting what we needed from our medical community where we lived and, and weren't able to access um, supports. And so my husband actually had a career change and we moved and we only moved an hour away, but my entire family and my hometown were in that little town. And so everything was new. Um, and there wasn't a lot of time to integrate into that new community because every, all the people I were meeting were in regards to my son's care. And then I had this brand new little baby. And so, um, we had a few friends that were already established here that we knew that we were moving towards. So I thought, Oh, I'm going to move to this awesome support system. And like I said, they, they were in different places with their families and what their family, we all had young kids (laughs) and they moved forward and, and we couldn't really. And, um, my husband's career demanded him being on call and, and busy. So I was home alone a lot with those two little ones. Um, And a a lot of our stuff was physical at at that point before we had a, knew what our diagnosis was. So there was a lot of um, thinking it was something that was medical that was going to be fixed. And we just had to get through this rough little patch. Um, But then finding out once they went to school that it was much different Mm -hmm. than what we thought. And that community we moved away from, I was all of a sudden wanting, you know, that family support and those people that that weren't able to be there in the way that I needed on a daily basis because they had their own families and jobs and things. So, um, Hmm. so yes, a lot of our community came from just the needs of our kids and not necessarily the needs of myself or having a job or creating things that typically introduce you to a new community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Massive adjustment. Absolutely. And I get it, Lori, because that's what we did when we yeah. went, you know, went from Canada to Wales and nine years later, we moved back to Canada because the kids, we couldn't get what they needed. They were getting some supports, little bits and pieces, but we couldn't get what they needed. And eventually you know, for a number of reasons, but the biggest one was our kids and they were not thriving. And so we moved back to Canada so that we could have a, a better support system for their for their needs because of their diagnoses. But, you know, it, it uh, every time you do something like that, it takes a few years to kind of find your ground. And for me, it was starting from scratch with all of the support systems, hours and hours of on the phone, (laughs) blood, sweat and tears, trying to find out who do I talk to about this and how do I do it? And, you know, how much money is it going to to cost and how many months will it take? And, okay, we have to have a reassessment done. Oh, how do I do that in Canada? And the differences with resources, it was, yeah. um, Huge. You know, at the time, you just do it because Mm -hmm. you got no choice, you know, you just do it. And that is one, one thing, Sheila, like you have no choice and we get so many well-meaning people in our lives that want to help and care about us. And they just say, I don't know how you do it. And I'm thinking, do I have a choice? I (laughs) I don't either. Like, it's just, there are a lot of choices here. We have to, (laughs) 
and you don't. You, and and so, yeah. you know, they're say, trying to say these supportive, loving things. And it's like, oh, you don't know how much it took just to get us to school or you don't know how much it took for us to get to the park today. And and they will never know. Right. They yeah. they will never know. It has to just be enough that we know that we got. We showed there. up. Yes, we showed up right. as best we could, and this is what it looks like today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that little bit of self-compassion, right? Well, and nothing on this life journey, it doesn't matter what you're talking about, nothing is all bad or all hard or all impossible, and nothing yeah. is all easy, smooth, and squeaky clean. So yep. not to create any emotional whiplash here, but we've been talking about <laughs> the the stuff we've been grieving in the hard parts i'm curious about what has surprised you your kids are older now they've grown in some capacity you've watched things that i'm sure at some points of your journey you wondered maybe quietly or maybe out loud like is this ever gonna become okay will we ever get like do you do we you know, I've had conversations with other parents who have said, I'm terrified. My kid's going to end up in jail. I'm care- like, I can't see another outcome here. Like they want every thrill. How are they not going to use drugs? They want every, like, and they're nine when they're saying this, or they're four when they're saying this. And, and I've had those thoughts. I've been like, I just don't see a way that this is ever going to and now I, I see my 10-year-old or my 13-year-old doing things that I go, okay, I, man, I really did not see that being a thing. And look at them now, right? And what surprised you on the journey about your kids? What have you been pleasantly surprised with or, or feel hopeful for that maybe you didn't know you could feel hope about before? You want to go, Laurie? Yeah. No, that makes me emotional. Um, ah. In a good way. I have yeah. uh, two high school graduates for a long time. I didn't know if that was going to happen. Yes. Um, or if that was not on anyone else's timetable, but if it was going to happen. Um, yeah. And I, I do have a, a funny story about my oldest son, who still requires a lot of kind of day-to-day support but if you get that kid into a routine he is golden like he likes to he gets up he gets stuff ready for what he's going to and once when he was in routine it was actually the last couple years of high school were pretty good he liked going where he's going he knew he had things to learn and things to do um but then we kind of didn't know what came after high school and we had to take a year that was just kind of you know wondering what that looked like for him. Um, He had a lot of friends and people that moved on and went to post-secondary. He was kind of in that category where not quite ready for that. Not sure if that's something that we're capable of without the supports that had previously been in place. And so someone asked him at his high school graduation, well, where, where, what are you going to do? And he goes, well, I think I'm just going to go work. I'm going to go work at the the Wine and Beyond store because someone had said to him, maybe they could get him an interview there. And, and so this person reached out and was able to get him an interview. And we prepped with all the interview questions. And, you know, it was happening very fast within a week of this person mentioning it. And we're like, oh, this is where we're at. So we, we went ahead and did this um, 
prepped him and, and the person phoned him directly and said, we'd like you to come in for an interview. And he answered the phone and said, okay. And then he said, can I bring my mom to the interview person? And uh, she was lovely and gracious. If you'd like to, you can, you can have your Beautiful. parent come with you. And um, we got off the phone and I reached out to another support person of his that had done some job prep stuff with him. And we got on the phone and was able to let this other person say, Matheson, do you think other 19 year olds take their moms on a job interview? And, and he said, well, I don't really think so. And she says, no, they don't. And he goes, okay, then that, that's not what's done. And let's go in. And he marched in there and he got the job yeah. and he's been working there for two years and he's doing things I never imagined. He's yeah. um, helping customers. He's interacting with customers. He has buddies there. He carries on conversations. And, you know, they <sighs> they planned a birthday little celebration for him when it was day, his day to work. And Amazing. Amazing. And this was all him. I, I have never had to lean into his supervisor about changing shifts or he is managing it on his own. And it's just one or two days a week, but it's completely his. Yeah. Completely his. And we still have all the things happening at home. Like, did you pack a lunch for work? Do you, have you washed your clothes for work? Like there's all this background stuff, but the actual work and that job and that routine and it's every certain day of the week, he shows up and he's got it and he is proud of it. And he gets there on his bicycle and, and it's all him. And I'd be, I've been able to step back. I'm more amazed at myself. <laughs> so I've been able to step back and not be a part of him. And that just gave me, gives me hope for what's to come. So, yeah. Well, can't it also feel if, if you are needed in that way as the external brain for so long? Yes, it's habit, but it's also hard to tell when it's time to pull back. Yeah. When it's going to be effective to pull back and where. So just because he can do it there at the store doesn't mean he's ready at home. Or, And, and I think about the, the amount of supports um, that allow for that to flourish, mm-hmm. right? And so if we were to remove those things, right? And so even when you say, I'm surprised, actually, I'm like proud of myself for being able to pull, I think we are probably more often than not ready to do that. But we, we have this gut instinct of it's not time. They yeah. aren't ready for us to pull back. And so it looks maybe sometimes like enabling or doing too much. Or, But I think we have a pretty good instinct for when we can test the waters because that's all we ever do. We're constantly testing waters of like, is that okay? Did that work? I'm watching for all the cues and the signals of is that a success or not? That we'll, we will do that for the successful things too, for the things they're ready for, for the time to let go because man, the relief is very welcome, right? When it works and we can go, they don't need me for that. That's not something we're avoiding. We don't love being the external brain all the time. And so this, when it can happen, it's just such a whole beautiful experience on both ends for our kids to feel like this is mine. This is mine. I can do this independently. And for us to, as parents, be able to say it's theirs. They can do this independently. That feels so good on our end too, right? Yeah. It, and yeah. when it can... Yeah. 
when it can flourish when it is all about them and their personality yeah. and the interactions that they're having that's when it really blows me away not that he did it independently because there are those little pieces but when their needs are met how how good it can be like yeah. when their needs are met how how much they can do and so it's okay to, to ask for those accommodations mm-hmm. right and yes. they can feel okay asking for those accommodations and and be proud that mm-hmm. they're able to communicate what they need because yeah. i'm not good at it <laughs> i mean so great i, I need work in that department ah uh, saying what we need yeah that's not easy <laughs> it's not easy yeah. for anyone no no you know it's so interesting my um my youngest son is the one that was my runner as a kid, right? He would just go into anything without thinking. But he was also the same kid that I, we had to tell weeks or months or days in advance of something happening. And then he could work it out. Well, he, um, my eldest got a job at Dairy Queen, um, but couldn't be on the front because he has too many allergies to the things that are out there. So he was in the kitchen doing all the fry up stuff. And then my youngest took on being at the counter and he's socially, struggles right but because he's this he he has become a planner right it's like that's what needs and all of this anxiety that led up to it is now one of his greatest gifts and he looks at the outcome of what needs to happen and he works backwards from it and he literally can plan how many hours it's going to take to do certain things it's incredible and he will say he would he used to say like Okay, so I've decided this week I'm going to master making peanut buster parfaits or whatever, and I'm going to do it in record time. And he would do it in record time, and he would go and did it, or I'm going to master how to work such and such a machine, and he would do it. And they asked him to be a manager, and he um, he said yes, because he said, I, I'm going to have to deal with things if I'm going to be an engineer. So if I can do this, then I... It's just practice for later. But he would verbalize exactly what he was doing and preparing. So good. And it was the most incredible thing. The other thing, and I don't know, Lori, I I think with having kids who are neurodiverse, we have such different relationships with our kids. Mm -hmm. And the biggest one for me is that I have learned such a lot. I've always been someone who goes in to solve a problem. And because of my kids, I've had to pull back. And I've learned how to take a beat, take a break, make sense of what's happening first before I open my mouth or whatever. Um, but what's happened is because of that, they have now started to tr- started to their hopefully they have by now. They trust me enough to come to me because I'm not jumping in to solve. And because I backed off, I have sometimes I just want to cry. I'm so happy. My heart just wants to explode with happiness because out of the blue, I'll have arms around me or someone will, or or just a kiss on the cheek or I love you, mom, you know, or it, and the bond. I don't know. I, I don't know if that happens everywhere, but, um, because I think of all of our struggles together, I think maybe I found a place of safety, my husband and I, um, so that they could feel like they could be who they needed to be and that they could trust, I don't know, trust us yeah. enough. We have a very close family right now and um, mm-hmm. COVID's helped. 
Um, but yeah. it, instead of breaking us, it brought us together. And um, I don't know, they're, yeah. they're 21 and 23 now. Um, they're still at home. They still need us. We still have long talks about anxiety and we troubleshoot and work through problems. Mm. And when they go, I will miss them more than I can even yeah. begin to say. Yeah. Um, but I also feel like when they are when they are ready to go, I'll be ready to let them go. You'll be excited for them. I'll, I'll be excited yeah. for them. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, my lovely fly has decided to come back. Yes, the fly thing. in your office wants <laughs> desperately to have a say here. <laughs> It was good for a while. He was. He kind of behaved <laughs> anyway, there. That's, yeah. that's the thing is that we have neurodiverse kids, but they give us such gifts, such they gifts. Do. And Don't we they? could never, ever know that when we're going through the story and when we're that's right. functioning at an incredible place and our brains are exploding with all the ideas of things we're supposed to cope with. One of the like, most powerful lessons. things ever said to me in the midst of the storm was an older friend of mine who was a colleague who could relate completely and said uh, that her then 18, 19, and 20-year-old kids um, were the picture of my other kids. They, she's like, oh, yeah, we had to call the police because so-and-so was missing. And, oh, yeah, yeah, we went for, you know, four hours wondering if our daughter had drowned in the lake. And, oh, yeah, we had this, we, uh, for her to say that, and then say, I can anchor you to your future, it is possible that that same kid will get a job, that that same kid will respond to you and hug you and say thank you, and that same kid will manage their emotion, and that same kid will have a, have a long-term relationship. And that's, I'm like, well, I can't argue with your, like, your proof that this is possible because she really could remember the dirt of it, right? Remember all the mud and the harshness and the terrifying experiences and tell me this is the same kid that gets up early, does it on her own, shows up for work, does equine therapy with kids, does the, I'm like, for real, okay, I'm just gonna, I hung on to that tighter than any expert advice, any book I had read, any, because I just, it was the hope and the need to believe that my vision was only two inches from my face. And, and I couldn't see past that. And that was okay, but I needed somebody else to see it for me. Mm -hmm. It was so huge. And I think about the role that you play as parent in residence for families, that is the lifeline the thing that tethers them to, we'll get, you'll get there. You will get there. It's okay that you don't see it. It's okay that you're in the mess. This can, this holds so much hope and it's okay that you don't know where that is yet. I can hold that for you, with you, beside you while you're in the thickness of it. So I want to say thank you for the work that you do the wisdom you bring, the life you give and breathe into this position because it is immensely powerful and so uniquely important. So thank you, not just for the today's conversation, but for the day-to-day -day work that you do and how you are willing to share your stories and sit in this again with parents because you could have said, I've done my time. <laughs> I'm tempted to say that some days like 
I've been there, done that. Now that I'm kind of through the thickness of the forest, I kind of just want to sit at the beach. I don't really want... So the fact that you, with great knowledge of self-care and some careful boundaries for your own health, that you still wade in the depth of the waters with parents who so need another parent. Thank you so much for doing that. Thanks for saying it feels like a gift to me a lot of those days because I blocked out a lot of what we went through uh-huh. and then I'll have a family lean in and I'll go oh wow yeah we got through that and it gives me hope that there's a place to go um, because I've come through a lot of what families are leaning into me are still in yeah for sure. and then it's like oh wow yeah that happened to us too I know you, me. you swear you'll never forget, right? Yeah. The most, like the most <laughs> jarring of experiences that are so traumatizing. We're like, well, I don't have to write this one down. I will, it will be forever etched in my brain. And lo and behold, five years later, we're like, oh, right. I did that. I didn't sleep for four years. That was a thing. Yeah. Like it's yeah. In, it incredible. Back. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. does. Yeah. Thank you for putting it to good use for sitting in it with people yeah and it was so lovely to have this conversation thank you for everything you've shared today thank you karen for letting us talk about it yeah having this conversation i know it's going to benefit a lot of parents can't wait to put it up there all right we'll talk again soon Thanks for spending time with me today. Remember to check out the show notes for related resources. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram, or you can also subscribe to my online learning page at my.thrive-life forward slash LRL series, where you'll get updates, extra tools for your toolkit. And if there's a topic that you want me to cover in this podcast, please shoot me a message. I would love to hear from you. Shoulder to shoulder with you, knee deep in this mud. I will see you back here next time.